Hello and welcome to Care Insights with the Outstanding Society, the podcast channel created by the Outstanding Society to share and celebrate best practice whilst raising the profile of the social care sector. The Outstanding Society is a community interest company and membership is free to all, not just those who have achieved an outstanding rating. If you would like to join, please visit our website or follow the links in this episode. Welcome to this episode of Care Insights with the Outstanding Society. We're going to be talking about EMAR and care homes today. Can I start by asking everybody to introduce themselves, please? Saurabh, can I start with you? Thank you, Zoe. My name is Saurabh. Uh, I'm uh, representing Camoscope. I'm a pharmacist by background and one of the co-founders at Camoscope. Thank you. And Shelley? Hi, I'm Shelley O'Farrell. I'm a pharmacy technician and I'm employed by Stowe Healthcare. Robert? Yeah, hi there. I'm Rob Livingston and I'm the commercial director at Camoscope. So I work closely with our clients and ensure that feedback on our products goes back into our product team. Fantastic. And Mike? Yeah, good afternoon, Zoe. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Mike Slater, and I'm a pharmacist by background, and I work in a GP federation and within PCN uh, Pharmacy within West Sussex. That's amazing, having so many pharmacists in the room. Um, it's brilliant to, to have you all here with us today. Shelley, can I come across to you first, please? It's fantastic that a role like yours has been created at Stowe Healthcare. Can you share how you work across the organisation to improve medication management? Yes, so I've been with the company a couple of years now and I work with the company on a variety of different levels really. So um, one of my primary roles is trying to help educate staff um, and write procedures to support them within that really. So I still work as a hospital pharmacy technician two days a week. So I'm able to use my experience from hospital to bring across to the care homes here. Um, so work across the eight different homes that we currently have. As I say, supporting staff in terms of training, writing procedures, looking at um, areas that there may be gaps in knowledge to be able to help support staff with that. I'm also involved in um, chatting to residents and trying to help support them with their medication themselves particularly if they want to try and self-manage their medication really so that's my main roles across the homes at present that's brilliant thank you so much for sharing that I think it is such an interesting role I think lots of lots of care homes especially um, outsource to, to either bigger pharmacies or you know local pharmacies but having that kind of expertise within the organisation is 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 absolutely amazing. So so thanks for sharing that. Um, and Robin Sorab, so digital social care is so important to the sector. How do we EMAR systems help to reduce errors in medication? Yeah, so um, where I'd start is I, I feel like uh, EMAR is a is a pretty uh, rubbish name actually, and and it's one that we we often try and uh, talk about because. Um, essentially, it stands for Electronic Medication Administration Record, and and the implication there is that that it just um, covers the administration side, 
when we think about EMR, we're thinking about digitizing the entire kind of medication management process and really opening it up to an organization as a whole and outside of the organization, you know, you have the pharmacist as, as well as the GP as well. So um, uh, in terms of EMR, I guess that, uh, you know, the, the Camascope system and, and other systems, kind of the way the way that we'd, we'd approach it is you've got the administration app. Uh, as well as the kind of wider management portal where you would, um, you know, run your stock audits as well as your kind of checking in and, and ordering process. And really that management portal is, is a place to centrally uh, visualize in, in real time what's going on inside a home or multiple homes. So you can see whether orders have uh, not been checked in yet, they've been sent by a pharmacy or likewise have not been sent yet by the pharmacy, even though the cycle is approaching. And um, you can see whether medications, most importantly, are being kind of delayed or, or, or missed. And, and within that are kind of various different uh, points where, uh, you know, those warnings will come up and, and you know, are, are time sensitive medications, um, you know, approaching their their administration time? And, and are, are they, uh, you know, being, are, is that short window being missed as well? So it's really a, a kind of central point to um, prevent those errors, those, er those errors that will be Kind of happening on on a paper paper based process system, um, kind of the other thing that 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 we're kind of really proud to be you know pioneering on a, and a and a real source of error and, and a pain point when we're speaking to care homes and the care sector as a whole is 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 that when you place those those orders for for your uh, for your residents or, or services you might be placing kind of lots and lots of orders together. So, you know, in a, in a typical 30 bed home, there might be 300 orders to place. Now, when it comes to it, that's, that's quite a lot of uh, uh, kind of uh, administrative work that, that needs to happen. And in terms of uh, checking, you know, the kind of 13 problematic orders that might come from that larger order, you need to find out whether uh, whether an item is with the GP or whether it's with the the pharmacy, and often we find when we speak to people that they they call up one and and they find out that it's with the other, or likewise you call up you you call up you know one and they say it's with the other, and and what it ends up with is kind of two different stakeholders kind of pointing in the same direction at, at one another. Now, through kind of a digital connection, you receive that that information back in real time. So when you place an order with it with a GP and, and you have that proxy order enabled within the system, you can see whether a prescription has been uh, issued or it's been rejected. So if it's been rejected, there's no point in, in contacting the pharmacy to follow up that prescription. And likewise, if you can see that the prescription has been issued, but the you haven't received the order, but, but, but it's down as being processed in the system, you can kind of what we like to call the missing items, um, you can kind of really, really isolate those missing items and run a report and just say that's for the GP and that's for the pharmacy. And it saves time, um, you know, for, for those stakeholders as well. So that's really, um, you know, from from where we see it, uh, how, how a, a, a kind of email system can can reduce errors. Just interesting there, Rob, you've, you've, you've mentioned that there's a, um, a way now that care homes can order um, I think you called it proxy ordering from directly to GP surgery. Could you, because it used to be that they used to order through pharmacies and there was that all big truncated thing, wasn't there? Could you go through that for me? Just, just, just to explain that through to me. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so I think in the, in the last few years, there's been a push to, to, to kind of get care homes in particular onto a, a proxy ordering um, service. So, um, you know, we've, we've done some work with the uh, GP systems to ensure that we can, 
um, directly integrate with those systems and save the the process of kind of paper-based ordering and uh, you know trying to uh, I guess um, clean up those gaps that can occur if if some communications are working on paper and other kind of bits of communication are, are working digitally and uh, you know it's um, it, it kind of closes up that 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 kind of triangle from you know care home to pharmacy and and, and GP as well. It's just to add on to Rob's point that is there is a tremendous amount of work that is happening uh, within the sector with NHS, uh, GP Connect and uh, other systems. So that what, what it has allowed us is that it opens doors for systems to connect. And when different systems can connect, it can bring a lot of, uh, lot of visibility uh, into the sector. So the other thing that happens when we place these or the care home place these orders into the GP systems as in when the prescriptions are issued or rejected, there is a status that can come back onto our system, which we uh, show it to the care homes. What we have also done is that what we want to close the loop and bring the pharmacy in the picture as well. So we will be exposing that status of the prescription for the pharmacy as well. So if for a reason the care home has contacted the pharmacy, the pharmacy will also be able to see that uh, the GPS rejected the prescription. So that closes the, the whole loop and we try and bring more visibility on the whole uh, process of uh, order management and then sending the, and then the pharmacy able to send the medication into the care home. I think it just really highlights um, the, the communication. Communication really does reduce medication errors um, and using digital systems um, will further help to reduce medication errors, which we know are going to happen. Um, I'm going to come back to you um, now, Mike, please. So often we find that providers across adult social care don't know about services that they can tap into in the PCN. Can you provide a summary of, of what is or what may be available for, for different providers across the across the sector? Yeah, sure. And and you're right, I'm going to provide a summary of what may be available because there's varying uptake of, of this stuff nationally. Some places are incredibly far ahead of others um, and some places are sort of just coming on board with this sort of thing. So I think it's probably a nice place to start would be to define some of these terms. So what is a PCN? A PCN is a primary care network and a primary care network is a group or a, a, a conglomerate of GPs that have kind of clubbed together to actually gain more funding and more clout with NHS England, essentially. So they generally are between 50 to 100,000 patients in number, um, and they're, they're multiple GP surgeries that have, have opted to essentially work together as a co-op to provide a better um, care for their residents across their primary care network across their PCN. Um, and this all sort of happened back in 20 sort of, um, or, or came to fruition around 2018, 2019. Um, and it was because of um, something called the R's funding. And let's, let's define that one as well. So that's the additional roles reimbursement scheme. And this was um, top-down funding from NHS England, which allowed for additional roles to be employed by GP surgeries within primary care networks. So it, it was very much based on the size of these primary care networks um, relating to how many members of staff they were allowed to employ within different roles. And some of the first roles within that um, initial cohort of ours staff were pharmacy um, professionals. So we've got pharmacists and pharmacy technicians. 
And so a lot of the time, primary care networks have uh, employed now pharmacists and pharmacy technicians within their surgeries, generally um, working uh, across the, the, the number of surgeries within their patch. So they might not be there every day, but there's usually someone to contact if you've got an issue around pharmacy related stuff. So medication in, uh, inquiries or medication needs, um, those kind of um, those kind of things. Now, as I say, different places are in different states with this. Um, some people are just coming on board, even locally to me, there's some places that are just starting to employ their first pharmacists and pharmacy technicians. So um, give GPs a bit, of a, a, a bit of time if they haven't done this, but perhaps if they haven't engaged with pharmacist professionals within their practices, um, give them a nudge in, you know, care home providers can definitely, you know, lobby and say, actually, we'd really value this. Um, and if they have, find out who they are. That's the tips that I would give. Find out who those people, those local contacts are for you within your primary care network so that you're able to go straight to the heart of someone that can actually solve the problem for you rather than necessarily going through um, the normal kind of GP process, which we, we all know is struggling and creaking under the current strain of of what they need to go through um, so yeah if you can get a direct contact with your pharmacy professionals within the pcn that's my first top tip um, then um, a sort of out of all of that has also come something called the medicines optimization in care homes team and now that 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 that's pretty self-explanatory what they do. They, they go into care homes and they look to make sure that people are on exactly the right medicines for the right thing under evidence-based um, research models. And they, they really strip down medications for some of our most vulnerable residents. And it's an incredibly powerful service. We, we want to be encouraging these people to come in and we wanna find out who they are. So if you've got them locally, these guys are often employed, not in this PCN thing that I've just talked about. They're often employed outside of that. So in something called what we, what we now refer to as the ICB, which is integrated care boards. They used to be PCTs back in the day. Then they were CCGs, all this kind of stuff. It all, all rocks on in the NHS, but now they're ICBs. And these guys are literally specialists in going in, looking up particularly older people's medications and making sure that they aren't on something that they really don't need to be on anymore um, that may actually be detrimental to their health going forward. So again, it's about reaching out to these services that are out there that can really integrate so well into the EMAR stuff that these guys have talked about because they can use those tools to really validate whether someone's getting the most out of their medications or not. And this constant communication back and forth from you know, uh, the, the, the emerging social care sector and primary care is just something that we need to really push, push, push. Thank you. That's a, a really good overview. And and for providers out there, how how do they find out? I know you, you mentioned about about the PCNs, but but for the medical optimization, how do they find out if they've got a team in their area? So that will be getting in touch with your local ICB. Um, so it, it um, and it's really difficult for me to say exactly how to do that because all of them are a little bit different, um, but they're all they're all listed. So and, and also they're the people that commission most of the other services out to care homes. So someone in your home will know 
who to contact at the ICB who can point you in the right direction as to whether they've got a mock mock pharmacy team or not um, so yeah ask around your care homes um, if these people aren't coming into your care home regularly or you're not seeing pharmacists come into your care homes regularly ask whether you've got one and see if you can get them in that's fantastic advice thank you so much and obviously it's it's a free service and and, and one that's yeah very, very well respected by cqc for example as well thank you mike um shelly if i can come back to you now are you able to expand on how you work with some of the stakeholders across health and social care using some of the services that mike's mentioned yeah, so like Mike just said, um, one of my roles is to try to ensure that that medicines optimization is happening in the home. So spend a lot of time sort of working with the ICBs to try and ensure that each home are getting all their residents reviewed on a regular basis. And um, obviously, ad additional to just the med medicines optimization is trying for us to ensure that because these people are in our homes that, you know, the times of their medication is something that suits their lifestyle as well, which is really important for us to ensure that you know, people are able to live as they want to live, not because of medicines around us at seven o'clock in the morning, they must wake up at seven to have their tablets. So, you know, that's a big part of my work is to be able to work with the ICBs or the local pharmacies to ensure that there is somebody coming in to optimise their medications, really. Um, the other part is working with the GPs. Um, our GPs in mean, some of our homes will come in quite regularly some of our homes they don't come in as regularly so trying to work with them to make things run a bit smoother in terms of medicines optimization like Mike was just talking about a big part of that is obviously if we're reducing the number of medicines we're given we're also reducing the number of errors um, so that's a really big important part of the medicines optimization for us is to ensure that medicines errors aren't happening and speaking to the GPs and liaising with them about you know a particular resident and why we think they need to be reviewed why you know we think their medicines need to be looked at as a priority really so looking at things like that also work with external pharmacy audit providers uh, to try and work like boots at the moment when they come in and do this I always try to make sure that I'm at all of their inspections so that I can work closely with them so I can try and ensure that any pointers that they can make for us to make improvements can get action fairly quickly within the home as well um, also just in the process of setting up some medicines groups which will have representations from the homes from the gps from the icb to try and get a bit of integrated working really because at the moment everyone's quite short-staffed everyone's finding it all quite tough to do everything they need to do so just trying to work out best processes so that everybody's working to their best abilities really within their own time frame so Fantastic. Thanks for sharing. And and I know one of our other directors, Sanjay, would say, steal, steal, steal any good ideas. And I think if you develop a model that's working really well for you, I know there's a lot of sharing best practice, which I know that will help other people. So for all of you, really, we talked earlier on about medication errors and reducing the risk. We know that medication errors do happen. Can you provide me with any outstanding examples of where providers have changed the practice due to an incident or a near miss? Has anybody got any examples of that at all? I'd I'd just come in there and 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 highlight the difference between an incident and a near miss, and actually it's something that I've I've recommended to uh, to to people to do, and there's there's a couple of homes that have taken it on board recently, which is brilliant, which is actually starting to log near misses. That's a really, a really big thing. 
um, uh, it's something that in the pharmacy world we do all the time you know there's all the time we pick something wrong off the shelf or we do you know it, it, and it never sees the light of day um, but all of those things ally into a, a kind of a, a potential for this could have been an actual problem and and if we're analysing those risks on the way towards the problem, then we've got we've got so much more data. So yeah, I think actually saying near misses is a really key part of that. And if we could start logging near misses, that would be incredible. Yeah, I think going on from what Micah said, that's one of the things that we've worked upon is looking at near misses. Um, a lot of ours have come um, near misses through controlled drugs. Um, some of that is through training. So obviously we've identified that there's patterns of near misses with controlled drugs and put in extra training uh, right down to like we have a, a controlled drug witness and previously they might not have had the level of training that we would want them to have. So now the person who's witnessing feels like they've got more understanding of what they're actually witnessing to help prevent an error. Um, we've also looked at things like adding on to the EMAR system a false patch in effect, which then acts as a patch check that can be done every day. So that helps to prevent, uh, so, you know, some patches are changed perhaps every 72 hours, some are changed once a week. But by adding in that patch check on the email system, it means that everyone's patches are being checked first that they're in situ, but also the fact that those patches have been changed on the correct day to prevent those sort of errors occurring. Can I just come in on the practicalities of that just quickly, because I think that's an excellent example. Um, is that something that you've just added as a like a daily patch change, as it were, in inverted commas, where actually that stimulates you or a carer or a nurse to go and look at someone's patch every day? Yeah, so it's added onto the email system as just patch check as a name, because you can at the moment add on any drug with any name as such that you make up. So we've added it on as patch check. And then that allows the nurse when they're doing their round to actually they have to physically sign the email system that they've checked check that that patch is still in position, but also that obviously it isn't a day that it needs to be changed. So it forces the nurse to sign for that on the email system. I, I think that's a fab idea. And it, it's things like that, um, Robin and Saurabh. When you hear about organisations doing something differently, do you share the case studies? Because, as you know, we're all about sharing. How how does that work? So I, I think when you when you uh, when you think about I guess EMAR as a whole, what it's doing is it's kind of um, uh, providing some colour to uh, I guess some quite often opaque um, processes. People, as, as kind of Mike was alluding to, I think people don't talk about it enough. You know, near misses and 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 potential errors. And I think that um, you know, obviously by by going digital, a, a lot of these errors are do do become transparent and they can prompt those kind of difficult conversations. So we um we actually recently onboarded a uh, a, a, um, a home a client um, and it highlighted that Parkinson's medications were not being given in that kind of short duration window and because that was kind of uncovered it, it prompted the organization to change their processes and really um, look into and re the, the review process of um, the administrations of, of, of Parkinson's medications and I think opening up conversations to uh, make sure that errors don't happen is is definitely why 
um, kind of going digital can be so positive. I mean, we we, we the, a, a, another example we get kind of a, a lot or hear a lot is is around um, residents that um, that might be refusing well not refusing medications but not having their medications because they're because they're sleeping, which prompts kind of uh, a regular delay of medications. And and I, I think um, you know just being able to run a report on all delayed medication um, also can highlight that that conversation with the GP around schedule kind of needs to happen sooner sooner rather than later and um in terms of um us as a whole as an organization what what we what we really ask our clients to do is to give us those examples to give us examples and then we can kind of have the conversation with the technical team and try and build in all those um you know uh, checks and balances to ensure that you know errors uh, are going to be difficult to make on the system yeah no thank you and i think i think it comes back to that culture of um continuous improvement as well so something's identified and actually using the systems that's your evidence for the cqc as well it is is learning and and striving to continuously improve which, which i think think is amazing so can i ask again everybody so the cqc are now looking at medicine sustainability um do you have any advice for providers taking steps towards medication sustainability i just want to read out some stats to you actually so so it actually says that health and social care services produce around five percent of all carbon dioxide in the uk and the largest proportion of this comes from med medicines and equipment medicines account for 25 percent of the nhs's total carbon emissions it's huge so what can care homes do about this i mean we have started to look at when people are ordering medications that are PRN medications, so when required medications, because traditionally I think homes have been a little bit nervous that perhaps if they don't order it, then it's going to take so long to arrive and somebody may miss the medication. So we've tried to really look at that ordering process with the help of email, like um, Rob was just talking about, you know, you can pull off the reports and say, well, actually somebody's not having this medication very often as a PRN, so we don't need to order it this month to try and reduce the amount of ordering that we're doing, because otherwise, the percentage of wastage is huge if we're not looking at that as you know sort of trends in administrations and again like Rob was saying about you know looking if a resident's always asleep and it's a medication you know do they actually require it and if they don't require it let's look at the GPs at getting that reviewed as part of that medicines optimization to try and reduce the number of medications being taken which overall is just the reduction in ordering really. That's brilliant and I know CQC are looking at um all, all different examples so production choice prescribing and also waste disposal as well I don't know whether either Rob or, or Saurabh you've got any examples of as a company how you can help people with that yeah so I think that when, when we think about I guess reducing uh, medications um, or, or unnecessary medications that might not be required for uh, a specific person um, you can uh, I guess by, by by showing all medications that are assigned to someone and then the kind of statistics are, are alongside it is, is going to be really helpful and um, you know it's, it's quite a simple uh, a simple thing but when you place an order just seeing what the existing stock is means that you're not going to over order as well um, and I think that's that's really important. And and uh, you know another thing is is that um, stock will kind of auto carry forward on a, on on kind of a, a, an EMR system. And with that, you know, you're not going to be uh, unnecessarily ordering medications that that you don't need. And also the the, the particularly around as Shelley was was saying, particularly around PRNs. I think that um, 
one of the things that that we see when we kind of go into care homes and and we we've kind of seen lots of photos as well of of, of very full uh medication stock and i think that 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 um that that review process of of prns is really is really important and you're going to you know reduce the the, the waste collections you're going to you're going to really reduce the um you know the 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 production of medications as well if 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 people are ordering um you know less less medications just just to add to that is that the digital systems allows audits to be very simple so anybody in the home can go and just generate the report and look at all the stock uh, that is there actually uh, touched upon earlier so it is really important that the practices around how do you manage your own stock uh, changes and we, we see the see that every time i mean once we've implemented a ema system into the care home within a couple of uh, months they change their practice on how they are managing their stock how they are auditing their stock uh, even who is auditing the stock can change because now you don't need certain members of the team to go and audit the stock you can allow multiple people within the team to do audits uh what we've also seen is that more utilization of the night stuff because night staff now can just generate these reports they can then easily go and do the audits uh, during their night shift when the activity is quite uh, at the minimal so uh, digital systems allows these kind of things what we are also trying to do is that bringing the pharmacy into the picture as well. We want to expose uh, what stock the care home is carrying and make it available to the pharmacy as well. So when a pharmacy is sending medications, they can see, okay, there are 400 paracetamols already at the care home. There might be an error. So it's very easy for the pharmacy to then reject the prescription not dispense that medication or just pick up a phone call and speak to the Okay, Ram, do you really need this? And nine out of 10 times, it's just a mistake that's been done because of shortage of time. And we all know how busy the care care workers are uh, in this demanding time. So yeah, these are the kind of things that we always want to listen from our clients and make sure that giving them digital system to make their process easier so that they can spend more time onto other relevant, uh, important tasks of theirs. Fantastic. Mike, can I come over to you? Yeah, just want to um, bang on about the broken record of optimizing medications is absolutely how we can get rid of an awful lot of this. And everyone's sort of talked about that um, already. Um, there's one that my ICB colleagues will happily uh, hear me say is uh, homely remedies. Um, if we can get a decent homely remedies po policy within care homes, um, and I know that's a really touchy subject and it's really difficult to do. So work with your ICB and your local GP surgeries on it but it means that you're stocking a small amount of the things that you use across the home for really simple stuff rather than individual patient things. Um, so I would really, I would really hammer home that one. And thanks to all my ICB colleagues for definitely chirp, chirping in in the background. I can hear them screaming it now. Um, the other thing, um, which is a little bit perhaps less intuitive, is the fact that uh, within that 25% of NHS stuff, one of the biggest areas that we uh, we uh, create CO2 is in inhalers uh, because they are, you know, pressurized metered dose inhalers, PMDIs, um, emit an, a lot of gases. Um, and actually, there are some really simple switches. If you speak to your local GP surgeries, PCNs, um, even moving from one particular brand of 
PMDI that we all use for salbutamol to another different brand reduces your um, CO2 emissions by a third, by two thirds. So it's a th the, the new inhaler is a third of the, the, the old inhaler, as it were. And actually, if you can start to educate um, residents and get reviews done and move over to dry powder inhalers, so there's no propellant in them at all, then basically the carbon emissions fall to nearly zero um, of those um, inhalers because the, the drug companies that are making them are also heading towards trying to be carbon neutral. So actually, there's, there's a really big amount we could do if all inhaler medications were reviewed within care homes as a big first start if people really want to tick that box on medications. That's brilliant. Thank you all for sharing today. I think we could most really do a few hours on on medication in care homes. Um, but a huge thank you to, to the panel today. Um, and we look forward to, to seeing you soon. The Outstanding Society is a community interest company. It's free to join and is open to everyone. You don't need to have an outstanding rating to be a member.